So, how are you doing? You know, it's kind of traumatic for a church when a pastor says, say, the Lord's calling me to go to Florida. And he picks up his bag and says, no. But the reality of it is, Larry is obedient to God. He did what God told him to do. And that leaves us, well, one, I think we can take the opportunity to submit to Larry But also, you know, it leaves us in a situation where we have an opportunity. And I think that the Lord wants us to understand that, that He is still Lord. He is still God. Nothing has changed. He is the God who is the sovereign God of this church, of the whole world, of the universe. He's in control. And if we understand the situation the way, way it is, and we understand that, that the Lord has called Larry to go to Florida, and the Lord will take care of him and bless him in Florida, he has, in that sense, put us in this situation that we're in. The Lord is still in charge. He's still in control. And he is still guiding our church. And I think we have a tremendous opportunity to learn how to walk by faith. And it will have a pruning effect on us, perhaps, but we will learn how to walk in accordance with our great high priest, Jesus. We will fall down before his throne and worship him in obedience as he ought to. Because who else do we have to follow? He is who we should be following. In recognition of that, the leaders of the church have gotten together and we discussed, as John had said, that we're going to go through a series on faith and how we are to walk by faith in accordance with our great high priest Jesus, how that works in our lives and how Jesus impacts our life because of his word and his spirit and his blood on the cross that is applied to our life. We're going to walk through this and identify what really faith is all about. And we're going to glorify God because of it. I'd like to go through the whole book of Hebrews because that book of Hebrews is all about walking by faith. And I hope I have the opportunity to do that. It's all about giving everything up, giving up our sinful nature and falling down before God and understanding that we are motivated, enabled by Him to do the works that He has for us to do. Also, I think you'll see a working in the body of Christ. Because when Jesus Christ moves in his body, he doesn't do it from the top down. He does it from the bottom up. He enables people to do the, the work that God has for them to do. Whether you're making coffee, whether you are feeding uh, children the word of God, whether you're doing music camp, whether you're singing, whether you're preaching, whatever it is that God has for you to do, I'm a farmer, I like mowing the grass. Whatever it is that God has for you to do, do it as unto the Lord in his, for His glory. And we are, I think, kind of unique in this church is because there are a lot of people who are doing just that. They're stepping up to do just 
path, to do what God would have them to do. And it's exciting. Very early in my military career, I learned a very valuable lesson. And that is that a lot of times the people that you're working with actually have better ideas than you do. And this happened just last week. My wife and I were, were talking about stuff. And she says, you know, we should go down and get involved with that Hershey night out thing where the police go out there and they set up all their stuff and they got fire trucks and everything. And I said, you know, that's a great idea. And then she says, you know, we could do something like face painting or something. And, you know, we could hand out Bibles and there's, we could do a, a really cool work. And I said, that is an awesome idea. And I ran it by the leaders of the church. And they said, you know, that's a really awesome idea. Let's do it. So, this is an announcement. <laughs> On August 1st, which is a Tuesday night, from 5 to 8 o'clock, we're going to set up a table down in front of the firehouse in Hersey, and we're going to have a banner that says Living Legacy Church. And Pam is looking for some volunteers. If you know how to paint up kids' faces to make them look like whatever, hey, get in touch with her. In fact, we're going to have a meeting at the end of the church. So if you want to get involved with this, we need to kind of organize and put things together. We don't have a lot of time. Uh, so keep that in mind. Make sure to stay around. But anyways, and also we're going to have a box on the table and it'll say prayer. And we're going to give them a, 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 a bag. And in that bag, it's we're going to give them the, the word of God. It's an invitation. And this particular Bible only costs 50 cents a copy. Man, it is an awesome deal. And we can give the word of God out to the people in our neighborhood, in our community, and introduce ourselves. You know, we are Living Legacy Church. We are a church that serves Jesus Christ. And, and we know that he can work in our lives. And he can work in your life, too. In this Bible in particular, it takes you through the Romans Road, basically, and is a very good uh, tool to, for reaching And those are the kinds of things that you will see the body of Christ doing. New things, perhaps we haven't done before. But if you have a good idea, don't sit on it. Share it. And if God is moving, He's moving. That's a good thing. Thank you, Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for being our God, for being sovereign God for being in charge of us. And Lord, we pray a blessing on you today. Thank you so much for being our God and for being his God and for giving us this time where we know him. And we pray that you bless him and help him get his church going. And we thank you that you have defeated him. Thank you, Lord, for all you're doing in his life and in ours. And, and Lord, thank you for being with us and for teaching us that you are God. You are sovereign God, and you are with us. You are with us in your Holy Spirit in our heart. You write our law, your law, on our heart. And we know you because of who you are, what you've said to us, you are. who you are to us. Thank you, God, for being close. We pray, I pray that, that your sheep are blessed, they are fed by you. If I say anything, what is it? You say something. So, 
we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about faith. And there was a proverb that I thought was very instrumental. In fact, this little proverb is quite an immense piece of theology. Proverbs 16.25 and 14.12, it's actually said twice in the Bible, it says, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end is the way of death. Seems like a real short little verse, pretty easy to understand, right? But the deal is, it's actually a major theological point in the Bible. It's huge. It runs all the way from Genesis through Revelation. And because of that, we're going to expand it out and take a look at it. We're going to see exactly what it's talking about. Now, also, I think it's important when you look at this scripture, doesn't it kind of, you know, shake you up a little bit? You know, there's a way that seems right. But in the end, it's a way of death. It's kind of ominous, isn't it? You know? Well, I'm, I'm very familiar with this type of language. See, I was raised on a farm. I'm a farmer. But anyways, uh, my dad used to teach me like that. I remember it very Specifically, I was probably like 10 years old, and we were putting grain up in the granary and had an elevator run by a tractor. And this particular elevator was kind of old, and the, the power takeoff shaft didn't have a guard on it. Most times they have like a guard that if you grab onto it, it'll stop spinning. This one didn't. If you grabbed onto it, it would probably hurt you quite bad. So you know what my dad said? He said, son. You get next to that power takeoff shaft, it'll kill you. Just like that. I said, all right, I got the message. You know, did I, the 10-year-old, go around playing around mindlessly around that? No, because I knew it would kill me, and he was right. I had a friend who had his arm ripped out of a socket because he got too close to a power takeoff shaft. It'll kill you. And this is the same type of language. You know, it seems right, but it'll in the end, it'll kill you. In the Army, we have these safety meetings. In fact, our safety officer is sitting right back there. And, and, and what they do to make you safe is they show you accidents, and they go through explain all the details and the bad decisions that were made up to that point. And it might be a matter of months or weeks prior to the accident that lead up to it, because it's usually not just one decision. It's a series of bad decisions. Uh, that are in concert with one another that leads to a disaster. And have you ever seen a helicopter accident? They're always messy. I mean, pieces go flying everywhere. So it's really important that people are safe. And the way that they kind of bring that out to us is say, look, don't do what these guys did. You, know, you need to do things the right way. And that's the whole point of the scripture. That's what God is trying to do is to wake us up saying, look, there's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end, if you follow it, it will kill you. Don't do that. And I think this brings out a contrast between life and death. And it centers on God's grace and faith or man's works. You know, and that's what this is really talking about. There's a way that seems right unto man, the works of man, but if you follow the works and you think that will get you to heaven, you'll end up dead. You'll end up spiritually dead, separated from God. And the obvious choice on the other side of it is grace through faith in God. And what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at examples of people that are in the Bible that exemplify this, this contrast between works and faith. 
We're going to look at Cain and Abel today. And also, we're going to look at the Pharisees and Jesus, probably our greatest example of a works theology and grace through faith. We're going to take a look at it and see why, why this is so contrary. And next week, we're going to look at another scripture from Proverbs that's very similar, but we're going to look at the examples of Saul and David. All right, so let's talk out. Let's start with Cain and Abel. In Genesis 4, 2 through 8. Again, she, Eve, gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord, the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's a sign against your youth, and you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel and brought him to kill him. Now, when you first read the story in Genesis, it kind of appears that Cain and Abel are just giving God of their produce of what they did. And that's kind of how it's presented. You know, you had Abel, who was a shepherd, so he gave a sheep. And Cain was a tiller of the ground, he was a farmer, so he gave some whatever they were he was making. But there's actually more to it. And if you look in Hebrews, God brings out the difference. Why Abel's was acceptable and Cain's was not. In Hebrews 11, verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. Just because of faith. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. You see, Abel's offering was of faith and Cain's was of his work. And that is why God rejected Cain. Cain also reacted from the evil motive of his heart and killed his brother Abel. Cain displays a characteristic of unbelief, and that is they will want to kill you. They don't understand faith and they walk by their natural instinct of death and within themselves. And we're supposed to go out and share the good news of Jesus with folks like some people hate Jesus. They'll hate us too. It's just the way they are. And frankly, that's the background I came from. I didn't particularly like church people, especially if they were trying to impose their religiousness on me. But after a few times, the Lord had his way. He, he enlightens our mind and helps us to follow him. It takes a while. Don't be afraid to share the gospel with someone just because they're resistant. They need to hear it. Hit him upside the head with it, but I still need to hear that. And they don't understand faith, and they walk by their natural instinct of death and dominion in themselves. And we can see that faith changes us because God gives us His life, His love, and love is what changes us. Love is what makes us new. The greatest contrast of grace and works, good and evil, truth and error, occurs when Jesus calls out the Pharisees 
displays their hypocrisy. In Matthew 23, 33 through 36, Jesus starts out with the Pharisees. The Pharisees, of course, were the ruling religious people in Israel. And he starts out by calling them a bunch of snakes, a brood of vipers. Oh, they weren't holding back. Now, what's what's what comes out of a viper's mouth? Poison. That's exactly right. And that's what the point he was making. The Pharisees were working with their system of death, and their message was death. It was poison. And they were killing people. That's why he called them snakes and a brood of vipers. Listen to what else he says about their system. How can you escape being condemned to hell? This is why I'm sending you prophets, sages, and scribes, and some of them you will kill and crucify. Crucify? Who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about himself. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And some of them you will flog in your synagogues and hound from town to town. So all the righteous blood shed on earth will be charged to you from the blood of righteous Abel, the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. I assure you, all these things will come on this generation. You see, Jesus was not only calling out the Pharisees, he was announcing judgment upon Jerusalem. He was condemning their entire system of sin and death. Which brings us to our first point, that Jesus replaced the law of sin and death with the law of the Spirit of life. And we need to be extremely grateful for the work that Jesus did. Because without his work, none of us would be saved. Jesus replaced the law of sin and death with the law of the Spirit of life. In Romans 8, 1-4, through Paul said, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And the great irony here is it was the Pharisees who were responsible for crucifying our Lord. Their system of death killed our Lord. And God knew it was going to happen. He wasn't surprised by it. And he used their sin, their system of death, to, to crucify his own son that we may live. Man, glory to God. Glory to God. God judged our sin on the cross, and Jesus took it upon himself. He condemned sin in the flesh. That is why God is quick to forgive. The price has already been paid and the judgment for sin is already complete. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. The Greek word is testelestai. It is done. It's finished. It is paid in full. Jesus absorbed the entire wrath of God for our sin and he died. It wasn't the physical punishment that brought him to dripping drops of blood in the garden. It was the fact that he knew he was going to absorb the wrath of God upon himself that we may live. And we have the gall to think that we have one ounce of work that we can offer up to God 
to pay for that sin? Are you kidding me? We cannot do anything. We're helpless before God. But we serve a good God. He loves us. Amen. Yes, he does. The point is we need Jesus. We don't need religion and the chains that go with it. Those chains will lead you to death. You'll be in prison. Jesus sets you free that you may serve Him. And like I said earlier, He raises up the body from the ground up. The tyranny in church government is when you get people that push down their legislature onto the body. That is not the way God runs the church. Church is done because Jesus Christ is our God, our great high priest. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. There is no other. And He reigns in your heart. He writes His law on your heart that you may follow Him and do what He would like you to do. He sets you free to serve Him. And if you make a mistake, we all do. We still have the sinful flesh. When we make a mistake, we cry out, Lord, please forgive me. And He does. Because He loves us. No, I think the cross is the greatest example of God's love. Yes, we see that our sin was paid, but it's not a legalistic thing that God did. It kind of is. But the main thing is that God loves you so much that He sent His Son to pay that price. The love of God is what's displayed on the cross. The wrath was paid in full by Jesus because of the love of God. You've got to connect those dots. Don't leave it. It's just that our sin was paid. It was, and I'm grateful for that. But the fact that love, God loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for your sin is the main point. Don't miss it. God loves you. And He has not departed from your heart. He has not departed from this church. And He has great plans for us. Don't be distracted. God is still working. He is working. And he's moving. And he's going to do it for you. That's pretty exciting. The second point is through faith we are motivated by his love and not by our sinful nature. And there's kind of two sides of this. And, and first we have to understand how faith is received. And, and that's very simple. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. Therefore, we need to really understand if there's a deviation from God's truth, you need to say something. As a teacher and preacher of God's Word, this wasn't my idea. I'm a farmer, and God is the one who does stuff. Just like He has gifts for you, you might not be fully aware of what those gifts are yet, but when they are developed, then you'll know, and you'll learn to walk in them. That's, that's cool. Um, and God will enable you to do those things. And this faith that we have comes from understanding God's Word and understanding it correctly. And if we deviate from God's Word, that's a huge problem. And that's a matter of you holding me accountable and me, I holding you accountable as well. Because your faith is built on God's truth. 
And if you change that into something else that's written in the Bible, if you if it's very clear that this is what the Bible says and you make it say something else, it'll lead you astray. And that's also the way of God. And if you hear me say something that isn't true, tell me about it. Because I'd much rather be held accountable by you than Jesus Christ. Because and the Bible says, let there not be many teachers among you because you will incur a stricter judgment. I think that means you will incur a stricter judgment. So yeah, you tell me if I'm messing up, right? Please. And I will do the same for you. Because the whole point is we need this truth in our life and to be said exactly as it says in the Bible so we can understand it and move forward. And then that can be transcribed into our heart. And if we deviate, there's a huge problem. In Romans 16, 17 through 18, Paul wrote to the Romans, Now I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause dissensions and obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have learned. Avoid them, for such people do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. You know, there's people that are out there in the ministry just to make a buck. Believe it or not. My, my family and I, we visited my sister a few months ago. And we stayed at her house and she put us up in the bedroom. And I looked over on the nightstand and, and there's a book and it's Joel Osteen. And I'm like, oh. And you've heard Pastor Larry say a few things about this. And so I look at it and, I, and the title is The Power of I Am. And, uh, I asked my sister, I said, have you read this? I said, no, someone just gave it to me a few months ago, and I just left it there. Strange thing, I haven't even read it yet. Said, well, you might want to do it. it out or something. Because guess who the I am is? Not God. He's talking about power of self-centered people. I'm like, are you kidding me? And that type of heresy will lead you down a path that will lead you to destruction. And frankly, he's got a huge church. People need to hear the truth. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about glorifying Jesus Christ. Right, Mickey? You said that today. It is all about Jesus Christ and about His glory. And the fact that we don't, we can't pay for any of this that He has done for us is reason to give God glory. And the more you understand that, the more you will want to praise Him. To give Him the credit. Paul also had a thing to say to the Galatians about this, this deviation. In Galatians 1, 6-9, Paul says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. Even if we are an angel from heaven and should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I say it again, if anyone preaches you a gospel contrary to what you receive, a curse be on him. Now, a couple things there. He says it twice, a curse be on you. And the word that he uses is anathema, which means excommunication, a damning curse be on them. And, and that's really important to pay attention to that. And what was happening in the context here is Paul would come in and preach about grace. 
about that Jesus Christ had died for your sins and there's nothing you can add to that. And then people were coming after Paul and, and saying, no, well, you see, you have to, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but also you have to be circumcised. Also, you got to follow these rules. In our context, it would be, well, also you have to belong to this church. Well, also you have to be baptized. You should be baptized, but it doesn't grant you heaven. Only the blood of Christ grants you heaven. You see, and if you add anything to the gospel of Christ, it leads you astray. You know, I had a friend once, and honestly, I still have a couple friends. But my particular friend at work was a Catholic guy. And I asked him, I said, so explain to me about this purgatory thing. How does this work? He says, well, you see, um, if you die, and you haven't paid for all your sins, then it gives you a place to go where you can kind of work it out. I said, oh, okay. Well, I said, you know, the Bible says that my sin has been paid in full on the cross. And I don't have to work it out. And in fact, if you think that you can, if you think that you can work off any part of your salvation, it actually steals God's glory. You're stealing from God. That is not a position I would, I would expect you would want to be in, you know? We have to understand that, that God has paid it all. There's nothing you can do to add to that. Now, on the positive side of receiving God's word and not deviating, deviating from the truth, it has a profound effect on our lives. And this is the point we really need to understand. In Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness to God in your hearts. To have the word of Christ richly dwelling within you means that it dominates your thinking and the Spirit of God changes you. And as we meditate on God's word, it changes us. And faith goes beyond just learning facts in the Bible or creating doctrine. Doctrine's important. It kind of keeps the ship straight. But it goes beyond that. Um, you see, Jesus said we're supposed to learn from him, not just about him. You realize that? In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, that was our third point. We're supposed to learn from Christ, not just about Christ. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and Jesus said here that you should learn from me. Our faith is centered on Jesus. Therefore, we need to keep our eyes on Christ. In Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, this again talks about the Word and how it demonstrates God's activity in our heart and life. For the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The context in Hebrews 4 is referring to Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who is also the word of God and our good shepherd. The point is we're supposed to learn from Jesus and keep our eyes on him. 
him, and as we do so, his word penetrates us. It's important to keep our eyes on him. I think one story in particular in the Bible really exemplifies this. It's in Matthew 14, 22-23. And this is the story about Jesus and Peter walking on the water, a very familiar story. But as I went over it this week, it kind of, uh, some other points were kind of brought out that might apply to us as well. Immediately, now Jesus had just fed the 5,000, and immediately after he had done that, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after dismissing the crowds, he went up the mountains by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. So the disciples are gone. They left probably in the late afternoon. Jesus dismissed the crowds. And then he goes up to the mountain and pray, and he's alone. Okay? But the boat was already a mile from the land, battered by the waves, because the wind was against them. So the disciples had been already out there for quite a while, right? Then the next thing, it says, around 3 in the morning. Wait a minute. And that's actually the fourth watch. So that's 3 to 6 in the morning. So this is a long time that these guys have been rowing against the wind. And it's dark now. And they, I don't know, they might be going in circles or something. I'm not sure what they're doing out there. But they're, they're stuck. They're out there and they're really afraid. They're scared. They're thinking they're going to die. Every time I get in my boat, I don't really like boats. But. So about three in the morning, he came to them and walked on the sea. When it's, the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And said, it's a ghost. Well, why'd they say that? Have you ever seen someone at three in the morning walking on the water? I think it's kind of an impossible thing. But if you did, you, you might come up with an explanation. Of, it's a ghost. Makes sense to me. And they cried out in fear. Immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command to me, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. He said, and climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught hold of him and said to him, now they're standing on the water. And he said, it's And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him. And they said, truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus had a lesson for them, and he has the same lesson for us. If you get up, you get out of the boat, Jesus is going to show you who God is. He's going to bless your heart. The first point of this is Jesus put them in the boat, and they struggled for about 9 to 12 hours probably. And Jesus put them in that situation so that they would learn about himself. And the, the point is that you should walk by faith, understanding we are here by God's sovereign will. We need to choose wisely and walk by faith, understanding it is God's choice and not ours. Have you ever posed, came up to an important decision in your life, and you just went to God and said, um, I'm a sheep, I'm not really supposed to know what to do? And that's our position right now. We're sheep. We're the sheep of his flock. 
You know, and, and we need to walk through this, but we need the Lord's wisdom in it too. You know, and don't miss that point because we need help. We certainly do. The second point is Peter got out of the boat. I, I, I'm really surprised by two things. There's one that Peter asked, hey, can I get out of the boat? I mean, if you were in the boat, would you say, hey, can I do this too? I don't know. I don't think I would. Maybe I would. That's kind of crazy. And the second thing that surprises me is Jesus says, yeah, come. Jesus wants us to get out of the boat. He wants us to be involved. He wants us to do things for Him. And the things that we can do for Him, we can't do of our own strength and our own will. It has to be come from Him through the gifts that He has bestowed upon His body. Like I said, God does things from the ground up that we can walk with Him. We're going to miss Larry and his family for sure. But we are Jesus' church. And Jesus is our great high priest. And he organizes the body from within. It's a bottom-up organization because the Lord has gifted you for a purpose. I think music camp was an excellent example of just that. Where the body of Christ comes together, organized, and they show the community God's love. Remember that note that little guy said? He said, thank you for making it fun. No? And the parents came in here and they worshiped Jesus with us, and they, they knew that they were loved by God. You talk about effective evangelism. That's the whole thing. And yes, you have to know what to say, too, and how to explain the scriptures, but that's the main part right there. You have to demonstrate the love of God. And to do that, you've got to step out of the boat. There's still 11 disciples sitting in the boat. Only Peter and Jesus are not walking the water. Dad got in Sunday school. Tony's going to pick up this morning. Someone made coffee for us this morning. It was good, too. You have to serve Jesus. Get out of the boat. Do what God wants you to do. We need to look towards Jesus and not be distracted by the winds. Now, I've heard things from other people, actually, about, oh, this must be terrible. God's still in the He still has this. This is his thing, not ours. We're just a sheep. The value of knowing Christ is a function of the new covenant in Christ. It's an act of God's grace through faith in Christ. This covenant in Christ is the way that God, uh, the way to God, and is based on Jesus himself. Our fourth point is that Jesus claimed to be the only way to heaven because he brought us his truth and his life. Jesus claimed to be the only way to heaven because he brought us his truth and his life. In John 14, 1 through 6, Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth 
come to life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And here, Jesus isn't referring to a route to take or a way to live. He was referring to himself as the way. Thomas did not know where Jesus was going, but Thomas did know Jesus. Knowing Jesus, again, reflects the new covenant in Christ. It says they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. And that's why Jesus came, our Emmanuel through God with us. And that is how we approach him. And Jesus says, I am the way. God alone, through faith alone. It's only through Jesus that you can know God. And if you try to add anything to it, it takes away from God's glory and it's destructive to your faith. You understand that? If you add anything to what God has done, how can you say that what your works are is, is equal to the blood of Christ? Do you know how precious the blood of Christ is? Do you know how holy God is? He's a holy God that can't look on sin. If you offer up anything, anything to God outside of Christ and outside of what He is doing in you, it's an abomination to God. Being raised on a farm, I had my one of my jobs was to take care of the chickens. And occasionally a chicken would go off and lay a nest somewhere in the barn and I would find the rotten egg some months later. Have you ever smelled the rotten egg? I mean, it stinks. It'll make you throw up in a heartbeat. It's really bad. Can you imagine taking an omelet and saying, well, I'm going to throw 11 good things in there, 11 works maybe, 11 good eggs. And I take one egg or one rotten egg and I throw it in there. Well, let's just mix it up. We'll see how this works out. We'll just take those eggs and we'll mix it up. And maybe, you know, we'll offer that to God. That's what people do. Combine works with grace. Take those works and they say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a good dad. I'm a pretty good dad, but sometimes I mess up. And when we approach God, we cannot approach God thinking that I can pay anything for my sin because it's an affront to God. He has already paid that price. You can't combine this works of sin and death with the works of spirit of life. It's totally contrary. It's two separate things, and it has to stay that way. Yes, we do works because God's in us and lives in us, and he writes his law in our heart. Again, that's a covenant thing, right? He is the truth because we understand his word. He has given us his word in writing and he has given us the life, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us that defines what the truth is. We go through here and we read the scriptures and we know the truth because the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the, the truth so we can understand. And then we work together and we ask each other a bunch of questions. Well, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's more like this. And, and that's good. We need to discuss God's word. No, and it's the Holy Spirit that works things out and he binds us in his love. And that's the chief expression is we need to understand that we are bound by God's love and his, his truth holds us together and the Spirit gives us life. And it's only by the blood of Christ that we are saved. There are many examples of people who gave up the way of death for the way of life. Paul is an excellent example. In Philippians 3, 7-8, he says, But everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. 
More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Again, there's that covenantal relationship that we have with God, that we know him. And then he writes his law on our heart. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them to be filth that I may gain Christ. See, Paul exemplifies this because before the road to Damascus, he, you know why he was going to Damascus? jail Christians, killed Christians, because he was operating under the law of sin and death. And he thought that the Christians were heretics, so he was going to go and put that light out. Well, the Lord had different plans. And when Paul saw Jesus Christ, and he knew that it was Jesus was alive, and he was who he said he was, it changed his life. He was no longer under the spirit of death. He was under the spirit of life. And he chose life instead of death. And he was obedient to the call. And he did what God told him to do. And he became an apostle of Christ. He was sent away for three years and he had direct revelation from God. And he came back and he continued to do what God would have him to do. Amazing story of transformation from apostle. Listen to that. He was a Pharisee who was persecuting Christians because of the works theology through the law. Then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and immediately followed Jesus and was transformed by the Spirit of life. And the question is, are you trusting in your own works as Cain did and Paul did initially? Or are you trusting in Christ as the way? For us to follow Christ, we must keep our eyes on Christ. The distractions are many. There's one thing to do. Keep your eyes on Christ and obediently do what he says because of love. And that's it. And everything else leads to death. Only Jesus is the way to life. Only Jesus. And he is the one who is in charge of the situation right now. And he is the one living it all. Now, serve him as we work together. We must keep our eyes on Jesus and maintain the truth and the love God gives us. He gives us I'm looking forward to what God is going to do in this body. Let's reach out to one another. Reach out to our community. I think it's a very exciting time. You don't want to be distracted. Keep it. Let's close in prayer. And I also wanted to mention after our final song, I'm going to stay up here and pray. And Jesus said, my house is the house of prayer. If you want to come and Receive this gift of salvation by all means. Come on down. We can If you have things in your life you want to pray about, come on down. And we'll be glad to pray with you. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a family.